Welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores. For this episode, we continue the topic of environmental justice, this time from the perspective of A.C. Churchill, an ordained minister within the Christian tradition who views the work of environmental justice to be intrinsically connected to anti-racism and pro-reconciliation Throughout the conversation, AC emphasizes the interconnectivity between all social justice issues and the important work of helping people move from faith into action. Their joy and passion for organizing as a pathway to repair and restore relationship is something that we could all learn from. Hello and welcome to Justice Rising. I'm so excited for this episode as a follow-up to the one that we had several weeks ago where we talked a little bit about salmon um, and about indigenous uh, tribal rights and all of those things. And now as a follow-up to that episode, I have with me A.C. Churchill and I will give them an opportunity to introduce themselves. Uh, hey, y'all. I'm uh, Reverend A.C. Churchill. My pronouns are they, them. I am the executive director at Earth Ministry, Washington Interfaith Power and Light, and currently calling from the traditional lands of the Puyallup people. Um, and uh, for those who are wondering uh, potentially about my reverend title, I am ordained uh, an ordained pastor within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition. So I'm glad to be with uh, y'all today or whenever you're listening to this. Great. Now, I know um, you meant you're part of Earth Ministry, and um, we're going to be speaking specifically about um, more so salmon related issues. But I wonder if you want to just give a brief snapshot of kind of all of the different things that the organization does. Yeah, so uh, Earth Ministry, Washington IPL. So we are the state affiliate for a national organization, which is called Interfaith Power and Light, not a utilities company. It's very confusing. So <laughs> people think it is, but uh, so the, the basis of our organization is to um, mobilize people of faith, to transform their faith into action for the well-being of our communities and the environment. So we work on a number of different areas um, and work within supporting congregations who are just starting uh, work in uh, wondering how they can care for the earth as as part of their community of faith, and um, all the way to communities who are um, interested in uh, putting faith into action in a specific form of advocacy. And we're a multi-faith organization, um, and a couple of the other areas that we work on are um, we work it within fossil fuels to try to reduce dependencies and stop expansion of fossil fuels. We also work in toxins to try to get toxins out of consumer products. Uh, salmon is also uh, salmon rivers and orca is also uh, one of our other major advocacy areas that we focus on. That's great. I mean, it covers such a, a wide variety of things, and I love that because I think often when we hear um, environmental or climate people's yeah. minds go to a specific, you know, maybe they're thinking about trees, maybe they're thinking about air. Um, I don't think they're always necessarily thinking about animals. And Julian did talk about that. He was talking about bears in the last episode and salmon and orcas. So it's such an interesting, I think, um, 
connection when you're talking about faith and specifically the environment. And I just wonder what inspired you, you know, um, as a person of faith to get involved in community organizing, but specifically in this area um, of environmental work and specifically in like the animal and the salmon related work? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think for organizationally speaking, we are on a journey to really uh, expand our work in terms of environmental care and in what a lot of faith communities call environmental stewardship um, to uh, include in environmental justice, uh, which is um, the inclusion of people and uh, people and planet. So trees, but also mm. all the creatures that inhabit this earth and uh, humanity, uh, you know, as part of that. And so um, for me, I see my role as a faith-rooted community organizer um, really starts off with my own need for um, for liberation. You know, mm -hmm. I do this work because I am part of these systems that need healing and wholeness and part of systems that, um, whether we're talking about um, in, in terms of environmental racism or racism overall, or the systems that continue to oppress uh, certain groups and communities, you know, I'm a part of those and I am a part of um, historically excluded groups. So I do this for my own healing and my own liberation, mm. uh, one. And um, and then as I started doing the work and recognizing um, that, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in, in a Christian church, Disciples of Christ. Um, my father is a pastor. And mm. um, I realized that when I wanted to start to serve congregations and, and be an ordained clergy person, um, that I wanted to be part of movements that helped to bridge the divide mm. uh, between communities that the, the church had historically harmed. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I wanted to do part of that repair work. And I really see that's a lot of where we are moving in this particular issue is that as people of faith and Earth Ministry, Washington and IPL specifically is our reason, part of our reason for engaging in salmon recovery, river restoration, um, and overall ecosystem restoration mm -hmm. is in part naming the harms that uh, communities of faith have been a part of historically, mm -hmm. which is land colonization, like claiming that we own the land and get to take it away from communities. Um, the doctrine of discovery and, and how toxic that has been to mm -hmm. um, communities, uh, you know, um, indigenous communities, but also to to you know both communities who who have been colonized and those who colonized, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so uh, the the part of the reason that we do this is to be part of the repair mm -hmm. of the harm that that we have caused. And have been part of, and so we work specifically with with uh, and following the lead of tribal um, led efforts because we want to do the repair work that often mm. faith communities have caused in a, in and amongst tribes, um, especially north. In this particular instance, we're talking about um, northwest tribes themselves. 
Mm-hmm. And that looks like a lot of different things. So um happy to discuss uh, a myriad of them today with you. Yeah, that's just such a beautiful way to look at it. I think um, in a lot of discussions I've had with people when we're talking about um, systems of oppression and injustice and historically, you know, um, inflicted trauma, um, there's often a desire of people to distance themselves from any personal responsibility, you know, perhaps because that happened so many years ago, they didn't, they were not the one who did it themselves, right, and inflicted it directly. And sometimes um, it's hard for people to want to get involved, um, even in discussing (laughs) the topics, um, and to see that there's a community of faith um, that you are a part of that is actively trying to restore um, and heal from the harm that has been caused, I think is something that's so important, especially in today's faith landscape. What what are the challenges or the problems that you have seen maybe um, in whichever community uh, that you'd like to share about, whether that's in your congregation, whether in that your demographic or maybe even, you know, uh, the systems that you're up against when you're doing this salmon and uh, ecosystem repair work? Yeah, I think the the challenges are are numerous, um, and really at at the kind of the center point of them is a an intention to continue to divide, mm. like an intention an intentional by the like by you know systems of power to continue to divide um, people who for all intents and purposes, want similar things, want the ability. And and when, when I'm talking about that, what I'm specifically talking about is in this regard, the challenge has been that um, at least across what I've seen in Washington state is that those who are um, living geographically in the the Western part of the state are often very much pro-dam removal and those who are living um, in the eastern part of the state or central part of the state often um, are seen as being anti-dam removal and mm. um, and so then it, it, it almost because this is we have to pick sides you know mm-hmm. who are you what are you for are you against and really in both cases there is this desire for uh, those people who are involved I have found that there's a love of the earth on all sides. Mm. There is a deep care and concern for how do we care for our families? Mm-hmm. How do we care for our communities? And so um, environmentalists, conservationists, tribal-led efforts are often um, seen as being in tension with uh, farmers, with mm-hmm. agricultural workers, with migrant workers, with um, green energy sources, because that's one of the challenges, challenging conversations around the dams in the Lower Snake River is the is to remove them would be to remove um, some hydro electricity that has been produced. Now, quick mm-hmm. note about that, the four dams on the Lower Snake River actually don't produce that much hydroelectricity over the course of a year. They produce mm-hmm. a very minimal amount and only produce it in times when um, when it's being met by other, there are other dams they're providing or other hydroelectricity mm-hmm. 
resources, providing those resources. So hydro is oftentimes a, a, a divergence from the conversation mm. because um, it's seen as we say, well, we can't take out the dams because we'll be removing hydro. Yes. And those services can be easily replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I do think this tension between communities that we are made to believe that farmers and agricultural workers, because they have hesitations about removing the dams, um, some of them, not all of them, um, may, in fact, um, these tensions um, that, w- that we're seen at o- more at odds with each other than we actually are. And that's mm. not to say that there aren't challenges, but um, I think one of the reasons why we uh, advocate as an Earth Ministry Washington IPL really advocates not just for the removal of the dams, but the replacement of the dam services so mm. that we recognize that it's a holistic, we have to um, think about how a removal of a dam will impact um, more than just the salmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we do believe that the removal of the dams is the um, best shot that we have mm. for recovering salmon uh, and salmon populations. Um, and we have to think about how that will impact um, irrigation, transportation, and, um, and, and hydroelectricity that's been used. So uh, for us, it's not an either or. It's how do we care for all communities Mm-hmm. while recognizing that these aging dams no longer serve the purpose that they once were intended for and have that in fact have caused more harm in the long run than than we originally thought they would wow that's really i think such a good you have such a good finger on the pulse of that um sense of division i love that you were saying you know it pits people ultimately they're the value that they hold is the same, right? They're they're wanting to they care for the well being of the people that they love, and they're seeing different avenues. And perhaps when we talk about dam removal, they see that as an attack on the way that they're able to support the family and the people that they love, and vice versa. I'm wondering, you know, we might have some listeners who aren't familiar with the dam removal issue and like what that even has to do with salmon. Do you think you could just do like a quick, you know, overview? I don't know if that's possible. I I don't like when I ask people that because I know I know it's like it's never really quick, but maybe just a short little summary of kind of what that issue is and why um, y'all are advocates for the removal of dams. Sure. Uh, well, I, I think I'm going to preface this by saying um, that uh, I I am still new to this issue as well. So I'm mm-hmm. about you know a year and a half close to uh, will soon be close to two years in, um, and so that there are are definitely uh, more educated people who could talk in depth about the all of the specificities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll try to say from what. From my understanding, um, the so the there are lots of dams um, along a lot of rivers in the United States and globally, and um, there there was a movement, um, you know, decades ago, to try to harness the power of the rivers, mm-hmm. and whether that be for transportation or electricity, or movement, or um, city development. There are a number of rivers. You could look towards 
uh, one of the major dam removal projects in the Northwest, which was the dam, the two dam removals on the Elwha River. Um, and in those instances, the there were cities close to the rivers that um, settler cities that um, benefited from damming up the rivers. Hmm. Um, so I think the, the larger piece is how um, communities who are growing, you know, um, non-native communities who were seeking to grow and expand needed to utilize the power of the river to mm. um for their own development mm -hmm. and in that regard um whether that you know whether that be electricity or transportation or getting goods to market um and so for the lower snake dam there are four or for some lower snake river there are four dams that have that have been put in place and I'm not going to try to throw out numbers because I'll probably get the wrong. Yeah, no worries. We'll like, have a link in the show notes fair, fair. <laughs> where they can look up more. <laughs> we um, won't put that data on you. <laughs> fair. But uh, the what has happened is the salmon, the particular salmon that flow along, that, that live in the, uh, the snake and then the Columbia by extension, um, moved from the lower snake river when a salmon uh will start at the same when a salmon egg was in the river and mm -hmm. it grew mad I mean, like it, it moved from you know all of those sessions from an egg to up to yeah, the yeah. Salmon. <laughs> whatever the, the life cycle of what that is <laughs> look y'all i'm a pastor okay something about feelings uh <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh it would yeah, the salmon would, goes out to the ocean right mm -hmm. and lives the majority of their life actually in the ocean yeah and then when they're ready to spawn and to die in essence they swim back up to the river where they were birthed mm -hmm. and there are a couple unique things about the uh, snake river which is one that it's at a really high elevation so it stays cold Hmm. And because of that, the salmon are able to like uh, it, it strengthens the salmon hmm. because it stays that cold. And um, and the dams have done a couple things. One, they've blocked the salmon passage, so the amount of salmon just can't get through. Mm -hmm. And two, they've made the waters warmer. Hmm. because the waters are not allowed to flow as they usually have been. So mm -hmm. in combination with the dams, but also changing climates, the waters have gotten warmer, which have um, threatened the, um, the, the livelihood of the salmon, which hmm. when we talk about salmon, we think it's that one issue or one species. But yeah. if, if Julian talked last week, you know that so many more communities are dependent upon the salmon more than human you know persons there are creatures and uh the biodiversity you know the forest mm -hmm. on salmon because the bears take them in or um mm -hmm. pollinators you know it's salmon is a keystone species for the northwest yeah mm -hmm. so i hope that's that's a little bit so the idea yeah. is, is and, and not only in terms of like they're blocking their way but it's also changing the dams change the riverbed hmm. uh, because it it blocks the amount of like silt 
and looser soil that is able to, it, it doesn't carry it downstream as much anymore. Oh, wow. And it then makes it, the, the riverbeds more pebbly, which is harder for salmon to actually lay there. They need a softer mm. setup. Interesting. Uh, me trying to be a scientist. I, yeah. like, there, there are a lot more. You're doing better than I would be. <laughs> anyway, but you know, there, um, and, and we saw that change on the Elwha. It's been about, it's been over a decade since the Elwha dams were removed. And the question was, will salmon come back? And they have. They've come back and they've, it's amazing what nature does once we remove the barriers that we put in place. Yeah, and kind of let it get back to how it was prior to us, quote unquote, making it better or whatever it was that we, some people thought they might have been doing. Now, I wonder um, around this issue what, in, and in the organizing field, um, what are the strategies and the tactics that y'all use as community um, to raise a, awareness within, you know, congregations that perhaps you know, are just starting and want to get involved with this type of issue. What What is the kind of approach um, that y'all take? I know you mentioned, you know, you you really follow the lead of um, tribal leaders and kind of what they are communicating as their needs. Um, but I wonder how you then take those things to the communities that you're organizing. Yeah, for Earth Ministry, um, Washington IPL, and by, I think extension really like any community organizing group that grounds itself in a faith tradition and a spiritual tradition or spiritual traditions um we start at at the story at morals and values so really what is it what is it about you know what does your faith tradition say to you about why we should care for the earth or why we should care for our neighbor or why we should, and who is our neighbor? Is it just mm. the person who lives next to us? Is it even just a person? Is it the wind? Is it the sun? Is it a bee? You know, like, so who is our, um, if we look at, you know, in terms of talking about a Christian tradition, if we look at ourselves in, can, um, as part of a greater creation narrative, then you know um then the rest of creation is also our siblings to care mm. for and neighbors to care for um and so for us we start off with morals and values like why is it important for you to care for the earth or why is it uh what do you feel called to is it um is it you you know you you really feel the importance of family where you really feel the importance of um, compassion and kindness. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to help people identify their whys. You know, the W-H-Y-S is the why is this important? And, um, and then we act as, um, as a, a conduit to help get the information from native um, and indigenous-led, um, tribal-led communities and tribal-led campaigns to communities of faith to say, now that you know your why, here's a here's a place to put it into action. Hmm. Like you're concerned with that you're, uh, you know, you remember a time when 
your grandparent took you out to the river mm-hmm. and there were fish in the river and you remember that care of you know and, and so part of why you fish is because of your grandparents legacy yeah and you have to be able to pass that down to someone else mm-hmm. did you know that you know it's not just the salmon but the trout and the, mm-hmm. there are other fish that aren't that are dying and that opportunity to carry on that legacy of teaching that skill of fishing or that skill of going out to the river or you know being connected to the the flowing water that may not be possible for the next generation and so we we try to connect the morals and the values with action and in so doing we do follow the lead of of tribal led communities as to where they say they they need us and so part of the the call that we often hear from tribal communities is faith communities have a way of speaking about what's important Mm. in ways that um, purely environmentalist or conservation organizations struggle with. Mm, That's interesting. And really what I sense that is, is because we speak to the heart, not just Mm. the mind. Not mm-hmm. just the facts, not just the data, not just because yeah. we can talk about rising river temperatures all day long. Uh, but when you connect it to a heart and an emotion mm. and a feeling and a memory, you know, or a sacred calling, you know, mm. that we are yeah. called by a divine creator to care for something or to be in relationship with something, that is part of what. I think is sometimes missing when we think about it, things just from an environmental standpoint mm-hmm. and really what tribes are trying to get us to understand that for, for tribes, it's not just the salmon are dying. It's their mm-hmm. culture is dying. Mm. Their spirituality is dying. And we're, and that part of their, their, their own creation story, right. You know, like you talked mm. to or Nespers, their creation yeah. stories are rooted in these, these creatures, much mm-hmm. like for Christian communities are, um, our stories are rooted in, uh, you know, in the beginnings of, of, with, you know, Genesis stories, um, mm-hmm. everyone you read into, uh, but yeah, so I think for it, it's different for faith communities that we have this ability to speak to um, to hope and to grief oh, yes. and the emotions mm. in ways and lament in ways that a lot of other organizing groups really struggle with. And mm. uh, because they're so focused on, on campaigns and win-lose. Um, so yeah. I think we bring a lot of beauty and depth to the, the work um, when we can bring our I I do this work because um I am a person of faith who uh feel you know feels called by a divine person you know divine being mm-hmm. god to to care for xyz you know yeah I love that you shared that because um you know I myself I'm from the Philippines and we are hit hard every year with climate issues and sometimes the challenge that I have is exactly what you named um outside of the faith space and sometimes out of, um, I would even say just indigenous or native spaces, 
climates and environmental stuff tends to be um it feels a little doomsday to me sometimes because it's purely data <laughs> you know it's like the planet is gonna die in this many years right and or you know by this year there will be no more of all of these creatures and and not to say that none of that is not true um but it's also kind of like gosh what do we do with that information and um what meanwhile right like um exactly what you're saying communities and cultures are dying um like for us as um as people of islands like our islands are sinking as the water rises mm -hmm. and it's it's almost it doesn't feel disconnected but it just feels so far removed when it gets too too much focused on the science and the data because for me and i think it's kind of what you shared it's it's about the people that we love and um, the legacies and the cultures and the traditions. And I like that you mentioned as well that campaigns like to focus kind of on, you know, we passed this or we stopped that. And I think you spoke to it really well at the beginning when you said, you know, that you like to do this work as as a way to repair harm. Um, it's not just about winning and losing and passing bills and stopping things. But I wonder if you have any stories or a story of how you've seen your work, you know, maybe an example of when someone has shared with you that they have felt healed by your work um, and your um, participation in trying to repair the harm. Because I think it's really easy to name a win as, you know, this dam was removed or, <laughs> you know, in this area, we saw an increase in salmon, but it's like, there's other wins happening and it's, it's, there's, it relates to the reconciliation and the repair piece. So I just wonder if there's anything you might want to share with our listeners that, you know, speaks to a win that's different from just a campaign. Yeah, you know, I think one of the, the pieces that was really significant for us last year was our, our former advocacy director worked really intentionally with, with tribal leadership along with the Washington State Catholic Conference to um, to help the um, to help the Washington State uh, bishops write a letter in and we were able to to get all five Catholic, state bishops to sign on to this letter and i read that letter <laughs> will sent me that letter <laughs> <laughs> you know and that felt like a that felt like a huge win because it was it was a uh, i mean in, in that letter the the bishop said they needed to be you know in conversation and that needed to be not just conversation but the policymakers needed to be uh, in conversation with tribal leaders as the principal dialogue partners, you know, mirroring that language that was in Laudato Si. Um, and it felt like, you know, it felt like a huge, huge win to be able to say, look, here are five bishops that have different perspectives, mm. serve different communities, um, and they are coming together to recognize that something needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but more so, I think, I think wins for me feel like when I can, we can look around the table and see who all is there. Mm. 
and and then also be honest about who's not there. And so, you know, a win for us is to see about who all, you know, how things are being impacted is we've got some work to do in coalition spaces around around creating intentional space for farmers mm-hmm. and agricultural workers and migrant workers and um, because they're not at the, the table right now. Mm. And so a, a win would be, be being able to be in conversation with them. Um, and, you know, I think another win is that we keep, uh, you know, Earth Ministry, Washington IPL, but other faith organizations too, like IPJC and um, and others are considered to be key partners whenever there is, um, whenever we have the um, the large public uh, uh, totem pole journeys or the mm-hmm. most recent all our relations journey is that we keep getting asked back mm-hmm. because we have built up the trust yeah. that, um, you know, the tribal uh, leaders and tribal representatives for those organizations know that we'll show up mm-hmm. and don't hold us to a standard of being perfect allies, but just ask that we keep showing up. And because we keep showing up, um, it feels like we're building relationships with them and um, it, building relationships in a way that we can move towards some of that healing um, which repairs the harm that has historically been caused and that, mm. you know, that we are, we are continuing to work towards uh, healing, not just in terms of like interfaith traditions, interspirituality traditions, but a healing for ourselves and for the generations to come. Mm. I love that. I love that. I think <laughs> it is really exciting, right? To like, for me, when I saw that Bishop's letter, it was surprising that one that like even one bishop would have wrote that letter was surprising right <laughs> and the fact that all of them signed it you know and um and on the topic that it was because it's also a topic right it's always kind of interesting um i like to consider those types of things as wins as well when you hear messages coming out of people's mouths that you just never expected right <laughs> that that right. person from that organization or from that church of that stature whatever it is would would say something um that just resonates so much, you know, it's like, oh gosh, wow, that is, that is such a moment of, um, you know, a joyful moment, I think, in seeking repair, like you're saying, because it it starts to recenter um, the communities that have really been impacted rather than kind of how they've continuously just had things taken away from them. Um, In terms of like long-term goals or campaigns that are coming, um, changes, improvements that y'all are currently working on, what's on maybe in the next year that you see coming? Yeah, we really want for that Bishop's statement to not just be a statement Um, because I think statements are important and um, they are, they, they come to life when we put them into action, right? Like when they, when we say, okay, these are words that um, encourage us to do something, um, and encourage us to hold the bishops accountable and encourage mm. us to hold each other accountable that, um, and so we, we really, that bishop statement is important. And what we really see as important 
is we are in a, a space of building momentum for the removal of the dams. Hmm. Um, we're going to speak it into existence that it will happen. And we know um, uh, that that has to happen intentionally. Hmm. You know, we talked about the Elwha River dam removals earlier. That was a process where they didn't just go in and, you know, blow up the dams and leave them. Mm -hmm. There was a, there were, there was a lot of prep before (laughs) and during, you know, it took uh, almost a year or more to get the dams actually down once they started deconstruction. Mm. And those dams were smaller in comparison to these dams that we're talking about. And so we know that um, things are going to need to be, you know, we'll have to talk about irrigation. We'll have to talk about floodplains. Like, Mm -hmm. Um, for the communities who now live alongside the river, who once the dams are taken down, their family homes could potentially be lost. Mm-hmm. Um, or the communities who who lost their sacred burial grounds when when the um, rivers were were dammed mm-hmm. and in areas were flooded. So a lot of um, talking about like the Palouse people. So you know, I think. F- for us, the next the next season really is about building up those relationships and and doing that fundamental work of um, uh, building bridges so mm-hmm. that when the dams do come down, we don't sacrifice other people or other communities. Mm. in the effort to restore something um wow because that's important you know like we we the methods we go about the methods we use will create the world the next world that we're living into and so what i what i Mm -hmm. tend to say is the difference between the ends justify the means and the means are the end Mm -hmm. so how we get to the end will determine the type of world that we're living in. And we want, we want a vision of a world where um, none of these communities are sacrificed, um, mm-hmm. but that we can live into a, a whole more holistic version and a more, more holistic world with each other. Oh, that's beautiful. Because the focus in that case is not so much the issue as it is the relationships that are being restored and built and um, deepened as the work continues just to wrap up i wonder as people are listening um that might want to get involved with your organization or a specific issue or just want to start figuring out how to put their faith into action how can they find you what are the best way or if there's any you know ways you recommend that they can either get involved or support the causes that y'all are working on yeah in terms of us i think you could uh, go to earthministry.org and that's our website. You'll find information not only about salmon, rivers, and orcas, about what, uh, that particular issue, but all the other issues that we're working on. We're getting ready to start prep for the 2024 legislative cycle, so there will be a Ooh. lot of advocacy work that we're doing <laughs> there. And if you don't live in Washington, there are other state affiliates for uh, Interfaith Power and Light. You could go to um, I could just search your state name mm-hmm. and interfaith power and light and see if one comes up. Most of the states have one. 
Uh, also, some are smaller and and uh, we're independent, uh, autonomous of one another. So we don't always, not all of us work on the same issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that, you know, if environmental justice is not your thing, it, one, it's connected to everything else. All injustices, all justice work is connected to its each other. You know, uh-huh. like, they're, all, they're all systems that work. Uh, they're intertwined. Um, but if, you know, environmental work is not, not your particular thing, if I would say you understanding your why is a really good first step. Like, why does it matter to you to be involved in, um, homeless care and homeless ministry in, um, in immigration reform or, uh, caring for, um, you know, youth in your community or, you know, whatever it is you, it is that whatever touches your heartstrings, I think starting there and asking yourself why. And then I think one of the things that sometimes we are notorious for doing in faith communities, well, I can't, I can't take my other traditions, but I know within my own particular (laughs) tradition, Mm -hmm. we are notorious for trying to create something new when something already exists. Yeah. (laughs) So. Once you find the thing that you're you're interested in, or if there are more people in your community who are interested in that thing, then search for other community organizations who are who are already doing that good work. Mm, yeah, and partner with them. So mm-hmm. maybe your church wants to do, you know, work with a homeless ministry or, um, you know, work with direct services. Because it's all action, whether it's direct services or advocacy or a, mm-hmm. a book study, it's all action. Yeah. Um, so find somebody in your community who's already doing the work. And if you find an organization that is doing something similar, but they are not, they don't happen to particularly do your particular thing, ask them why not and see maybe it's, they just need resources. Maybe they mm-hmm. need some volunteers to help add that channel to their particular issue. And I think then the last bit is that maybe you are a little bit interested in environmental work, but you don't want to give up the work that you're currently doing. Mm-hmm. We'll go back to the kind of the, the conversation around homeless communities and, and trying to work for like housing first and is all of these issues, uh, all of these, these areas that we work on are, are connected to one another. And so just begin to, I would say, begin to ask yourself, like, what or, or how does environmental, how does the environment impact this particular issue? Whether it's immigration through forced migration because of environmental challenges or, you know, environmental, you spoke to rising sea levels and mm-hmm. water levels around communities who live on um, islands, or is it, uh, or is it people who um, live out in the, you know, in the heat and in the extreme mm-hmm. weather because they don't have stable housing. Mm-hmm. And are there not just cold shelters or cooling shelters, but are there resiliency hubs in your community? Mm-hmm. So just begin to ask yourself, how does the environment play into, and how does environmental concerns play into the work that you're already doing um, to make your work more holistic? Oh, that's great. That's just such, such great advice and tips i think for everybody listening i just want to thank you ac for the time that you've taken to share um 
just your approach to organizing. I think deeper than the issues is the repair of the relationships. And I'm definitely going to walk away from this conversation um, reflecting on that so much more. So thank you for your work. Thank you for your witness. And uh, thank you for taking the time to share with our listeners. Well, thank you. And no, I think the beauty of all of this is that uh, we don't do it alone, mm. right? That we do this work. Uh, that's where it can be overwhelming is when we feel like, how do I as an individual solve this? Well, you can't. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> yeah, and you don't. But together we can. Mm. And together mm -hmm. we can not just fix an issue, but we can bring about a vision for a different world mm. when we work together. Amen. Well, thank you so, so thank much you. and wishing y'all praise and best of luck at the uh, upcoming advocacy year that's just around the corner. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic religious congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at ipjc.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcast.